See, like, look how quiet I am. Hello? Did Katie tell a story yet? No. no. She, I don't think she wants to. Mora does. But I, I want to. I just is. feel like I'm not going to be good at it. So if it is really bad, you guys can just cut it out. I'm what, sure it's Then fine. what? It's just going to be me talking. <laughs> we'll just add my murder later. Yeah, but uh, we can cut out whatever we need to. Okay, good. All right. Okay. Ready? Anyways. Hey, welcome back to Listen, Let's Get Spooky. Hello. The true crime, paranormal, supernatural podcast. You know, it's got a different order every time we <laughs> record, but y- you get the gist. It's whatever alcohol we take a shot of. It just comes in a different <laughs> order. <laughs> yes, and because today we drink different things, it was in a different order. <laughs> it just happens. Yeah. Um, today our friend Kristen is here with us. She's going to tell a murder story and take some of my work away. I am very jealous because that means that I still have to tell my story. But that's yes, okay because it's pretty good today. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to turn the mic to you. I'm just a little nervous. I gotta don't get be, some, don't I gotta be get some inspiration. That's I, why I listened to episode one. You listened? Oh, because you were in it. I think based sure. off of this, you need to give her the quiet mic. Yeah, I probably will, because then we can just we'll share one. ours. So anyways, uh, would you like me to start, or would you like to do your story first? You want Lexi to go first? Uh, Doesn't matter. I mean, you... I can I can go. Yeah, why don't we go out the liquor's hot still? Yeah, okay, we go. all right, I'll let and you go caffeine. on first. Okay, so tell had... me your best murder story. Well, I don't know if this is, like, my best murder story, because this is probably, like, first one that I've actually, like, looked up to, like, tell. I got this off Wikipedia, so I'm really into, well, I'm not gonna say I'm really into it, but, like, I like murders and stuff, too, and stuff like that, but, like, you know, I like hunting, or I'm trying to like hunting, so <laughs> I found, like, a hunting story, because I figured that's creepy, you know, you're out and you're blind all by yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't trust the people you're with would be kind of scary so maybe yeah, these true. um i think it's eight people should have not trusted chai sao Ving. um great so he was a six-year veteran of the california national guard and he shot eight people while on a hunting trip uh. in northern wisconsin um the date was november 21st 2004 so six of the people were killed and two of them were wounded so you know if you are a hunter you know opening day is november 15th so just a few days you know after opening day he Wanted to kill the people he was with. Um, mm-hmm. So right now he is six consecu- consecutive life terms plus 70 years in prison. Uh, he was a truck driver. He's aged 50 right now. And um, he lived in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, so he's imprisoned at... That's where my story takes... Well, not, not oh, St. Paul, creepy, but, but in Minnesota. Like Minnesota, today. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So um, he's imprisoned right now at... It's called... I, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Anamosa State Penitentiary. Sure. Um, so just a background on his, his life, um, her Wikipedia. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's fine, Wikipedia is brand. So, Vang's um, father uh, served in a secret war, and it was funded by the CEA that recor- recruited the Hmong in Laos to disrupt simply route um, supply route, sorry, going from Laos to Vietnam during the Vietnam War. So, um, he's got, like, some war background, um, you know, but I guess I should probably just get to the story instead of telling the background on him. It's fine, you can tell yeah, the background. Tell the background, tell the background. Yeah, okay. Tell the background. Set the tone. Okay, the story. Gets, set yeah. the tone. So, yeah, so that's his dad. So, General Vang Pao was the leader of this army and was seen as a father figure to the Hmong. After the United States made the decision they, to withdraw the troops in 72, Vang and his family escaped the Hmong genocide that was ordered by Pathet 
Leo to exterminate the Hmong down to the last root. And they did that as like a retaliation for assisting the United States. Interesting. Um, many Hmong were able to make it to the U.S. However, thousands of the Hmong were left behind and were killed. Um, Vang and his siblings relocated to the United States and they went to California. Um, Vang lived in Sacramento and eventually enlisted in the California National Guard. So, um, not born here. Vang moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota sometime around 2000. A few years later, him and his family moved to St. Paul. Um, he's the father of six children, Whoa. and he is also a family shaman, um, which a shaman is... It's, a shaman? Maybe. I'm not really good at, like, pronouncing things, so... <laughs> okay, if, I pitch, if I butcher anything, I'm really sorry. I mean, I only really know how to pronounce, like, Spanish things, so... Um, but shamanism is a practice that involves a practitioner reaching altered states of consciousness in order to perceive and interact with what they believe to be a spirit world and channel these transcendental energies into this world. Yeah, I think it's shaman. Shaman. All right, there shaman. we go. Okay, you're All good. Right. That um, sounds cool. So he did that? Yeah, and he was a haunting enthusiast. So that's his background story. I wonder if uh, what he did influenced do... of why he <laughs> right. killed all those people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems interesting, but let's see. <laughs> um, so on the weekend of the shootings, obviously Vang went deer hunting with his two friends and their two sons um, in northwest Wisconsin. A region where deer hunting is particular, particularly popular, east of Birchwood, Wisconsin, around the town of Meteor. Meteor. Don't know any of that. What? I don't know where any of that is. No, me neither, man. But you know, we figured out some rural area. It's the woods. <laughs> the woods, right? Anywhere where you can find deer and hunt deer and take venison home to eat and make like venison chili, but. Oh, oh, nope. Yeah, you know we're from Michigan now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. You know, I don't think we ever said that. Well, no, we never said it, but. We did say we had Midwestern accent, probably really strong Midwestern accents <laughs> in like the first episode. Probably, but yeah. But yeah, the Ope gives it away, so. So that a meteor, that area, it extends over a large sparsely populated area. The land is a mix of public and private. It's believed that Vang and his friends began their day on public land, but he later went on to private a private 40-acre tract of land. Mm, so obviously, if you are a hunter, like public land, DNR and stuff like that, I mean, at least that's how it works in Michigan. I would think it works pretty similarly. And um, So November 21st, it was a Sunday. A hunting party, it was about, uh, the party was of about 15 people. So that was their deer camp, 15 people, were in a cabin on this private land. So kind of funny that it's on private land versus the public land where they started out that he does this, I guess. But we'll see. Oh. Um, so Terry Willers, one of the two co-owners of the land, left the cabin and saw Vang sitting in a deer stand. So a deer stand is obviously like see from the above down. Like where you're oh, shooting, so, so it's, it's not like like you stand up and it's that the yeah. tree stand thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, and that's what it, at least that's what I'm getting from this. So <clears throat> he's not like in a blind or anything, from what this sounds like. So Willers used a handheld radio to ask people still in the cabin whether or not anyone should be in the stand. Upon receiving a response in the negative, he approached Vang and told him to leave the property. Van Vang then apologized and started moving south towards a trail through a forested area of the property. According to Til Terry Willer's testimony, at, uh, quotations, as Bob got back on the radio and asked me where he was at, and I said, he's heading south down on the foot plot right now, I radioed into the cabin at that I had a tree rat and I had chased him off, unquote. So was he not supposed to be in uh, the 
private area. Like it sounds he, like he wasn't supposed to be in the stand. That's okay. Like he uh, should have been back at the cabin with everybody else. That's what I'm understanding. Okay. So okay. maybe I know like certain like at least like DNR rules like here. You, I think you can only go out so... I mean, I've only been hunting once, so I'm not, like, super savvy on all, like, the hunting rules and stuff like that, but, like, you can only go... I think you go out at, like, 7 a.m. Oh, so... I don't know. I gotta ask the yeah. hubby. I should have asked okay, the hubby before there's, I was there's recording only this. times, right, that you yeah. can go out? And then, like, basically, like, you don't want to go out, like, when it's dark because you can't see anything. Like, right. you don't know where your deer are, so... Right, and it, you're supposed to go at sunrise and sunset because that's when they come out the most. Or right. So. Um, so at that point, five of the hunters from the cabin who had heard the radio message arrived at the tree stand. Lauren Hesbeck, a surviving victim, stated, quote, Bob had said, I'm going to talk to him to find out who he is, why he's there, and make sure he doesn't know, you know, knows that he's on a private property and that he's not welcome there. Denny said, had said to me that this ought to be interesting. Let's go, go and see what's going on. We got in the back of it standing up. Um, hanging on the rear bar, um, unquote. After following the directions given by Willers, they proceeded to approach Vang further down the trail. This person's name, I don't know, Crito? Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Sorry if I butchered it. Um, Then suggested making a note of his hunting license number to make a report to the DNR. And according to Hesbeck's testimony, Crito, quote, flipped over the hunting tag on Vang's back to get his license number, unquote. Um, so the events after the confrontation are disputed, a violent altercation broke out and four of the eight victims were shot in the back and three of these four were hit by multiple rounds. Vang is believed to have fired about 20 rounds from a Sega rifle chambered in 7.62 by 39 millimeters, um, which was recovered by the police. One of the wounded hunters died the next day, bringing the told the six dead and two wounded. Holy moly. Okay, hold on. That's I want to a... make sure I said that type of ammo correctly. I don't think that's... A... I mean, that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I mean... It... They're but... not here for the ammo. They're here for the... So, was he... He wasn't in that stand thing anymore. He was, like, with all of them somewhere else. Well, it sounds like, to me, like, what I'm getting at from, like, you know, what wikipedia says um he shouldn't have been like in the in the tree stand and then they went to like i'll go get him and then that's that's probably when the altercation occurred that maybe who knows what the hell was said but like you know he just started shooting these people yikes so um (laughs) i'm just looking at what type of bullet this is (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it's that important it is important if i'm not saying it right Mm. i say a lot of things wrong yeah but i'm supposed to know about this stuff (laughs) um Bang fled the scene on foot and discarded his remaining ammunition, later stating that he did not want to shoot anyone else. Okay, well, he shot a ton of people. Yeah, I mean, like, whatever. Um, Bang eventually came across another hunter riding an ATV who had no affiliation with the victims, and this hunter offered to give Bang a ride, eventually taking him back, him to Bang's cabin. Vang was arrested when he returned to his cabin five hours after the shooting. An officer for Vang placed him into custody and transported him to the Sawyer County Jail. His bail was set at $2.5 million. Wow. So, um, to talk about the victims, the victims were part of a group of about 15 people, like I said earlier, who made an annual opening weekend trip to the Cretol Willers property. Among those killed were father and son Robert and Joey Cretol and Willers' daughter, Jessica Willers. Oh. Those were killed, um, so the names are Robert 
Robert Croteau at 42, Joey Croteau at 20, Alan Lasky at 43, Mark Rodit at 28, Jessica Willers at 27, Denny Drew at 55, and those wounded were Lauren Hesbeck at 48 and Terry Willers at 47. Um, so to get into the investigation, there's been conflicting reports about what led to the shootings. For me, like from what like we're hearing, it sounds like he wasn't welcome at the right. camp. Yeah, you know, like and that. they were going there to like my guess is like whoever the guy who was radioing in and like looking to see saw him out there and they asked like he probably radioed in at the cabin to see if it was somebody who was like well actually welcomed. If they were in the tree stand when they found out, you know, it wasn't anyone they knew. They probably went out there to be uh, like, what are you doing here? So they don't know him? Well, this whole time I thought they were friends. It sounds like they, like, know him, but, like, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't invited. He was just Like, a... maybe, I don't know. Maybe he was, like, you know, that one friend that, like, always wants to hang out with you, and you're like, I don't want to hang out with you, and, you know, they're not No, welcome. I want to hang out with all my friends all the time. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you. Just kidding. <laughs> I only have four friends, so, like, <laughs> I like all of them. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I feel you. That that can be edited out because I was. I'm just nervous, okay? You're like, doing it's fine. fine. Oh. Um. So, according to subsequent oral statements by Vang, one of the local hunters, Terry Willers, took the first shot at him from a hundred feet away, and therefore the shootings were in self-defense. So, this guy's um, Vang is saying that you know he was using self-defense and that they shot at him first. Oh. But he killed like six people, so I don't really believe him. No. Right. Like, dude, come on. And like, did, did they ever try and to see if, like, the bullets from the other people's guns were found? I mean, usually, like, ballistics reports and stuff like that, they can, like, kind of tell, like, the angles and all that stuff. Like, I mean, like I said, like, I'm a little savvy on guns, but I'm not, like, super savvy on them. But, like, from, like, what I've, like, read, they can usually tell, like, which angle, like, who shot the first one and stuff like that. Like, right. I don't know. Like, you know, like, science you know, is, like, really, like, advanced nowadays, so mm-hmm. yes. they can, like, tell a lot of stuff, and, like, they can, you know, with bullets, they, I don't know, they can tell a lot with bullets, and, like, yeah. whose bullet was what because of what type of rifle he was using and what ammunition mm-hmm. that rifle takes, and, you know, so no shell casing was ever recovered from Willer's gun, so oh, that's okay. another, th- you know what I mean, like, they can tell, like, all this stuff, no, um, so no shell casing was ever requ- recovered from Willer's gun, even though during the trial, Hespec admitted to firing a single shot later during the incident when Vang, noticing that Hespec was still alive, fired at him again. Hespec mm-hmm. testified no shot was fired before Vang started shooting. Additional forensic al- analysis of Willer's gun was not performed by the local law enforcement. The statements of both Vang and Hesbeck state that Vang removed the scope from his rifle before firing his first shot. Vang stated that the race was a factor, that race was a factor alleging that during the verbal dispute, some of the local hunters yelled out racial slurs at him, such as... We don't have to say Yeah, so just racial slurs (laughs) um, that are not nice. Um, On the stand, Hesbeck admitted that Robert Croteau had called Vang a... Another racial slur. Um, Hesbeck also admitted that he told law enforcement that Robert Curteau had problems with trespassers in the past, specifically citing among hunters who often traveled to Wisconsin from Minnesota to hunt. The term mud duck is often used in western Wisconsin to refer to Minnesota residents, similar to cheesehead being used to describe Wisconsin <laughs> residents. Mm-hmm. Willers used this term to describe Che Vang when he radioed back to the cabin. Though the term does not necessarily have a racial connotation, the defense argued that it did due to the fact that Willers and the others did not know at the time that Bing was from Minnesota. 
The criminal compliance states that Vang shot four of the victims in the back, and Vang himself admits he shot one victim in the back. He also shot many of the victims multiple times. The prosecution made use of these facts in arguing against the claim of self-defense. So he shot these people a few times. Um, so the trial just... To, you know, this is shorter. So um, there were 14 jurors selected from Dane County, Wisconsin, and um, bust about 280 miles northwest of Sawyer County where they were sequestered. Vang told the jury that he feared for his life and began firing only after Hunter's shot nearly hit him. Another Hunter's shot nearly hit him. I feel like that's just not true, though. Like, you, I mean, you're usually just shooting at one area. I don't know. Like, I just feel like that's... And there wasn't any evidence of other people shooting at Like, him. they didn't have, like, they didn't find any casings or something, right. so... Um, so he detailed for the jurors how the other hunters approached him and how he responded by shooting at each one. He says he shot two of the di victims in the back because they were disrespectful. Oh. So, I don't know, maybe punch him in the face instead of shooting him. Uh, I, right. You know, like, come on. Um, this he podcast does not condone violence. <laughs> Only self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> um, he recounted with clarity how he killed each victim while saying on the stand he wished it wasn't happening. Vane contended that three of the hunters deserved to die. Oh. Wow. Um, okay. So, quote, did Mr. Croteau deserve to die, unquote, Wisconsin Attorney General um, asked, and Vane replied yes. Ving mm -mm. further testified that Joseph Croteau deserved to die because he accused me of giving him the finger and tried to cut in front of me to stop me from leaving. Mm. Interesting. And Lasky deserved to die because he had a gun, he said. Well, everybody has a gun while hunting. Like, come on. Like, you're trying to shoot deer, not people. Yeah. Um, Vang reenacted his deeds while on the stand, using his hands and arms to imitate the motions of firing a rifle. Vang's lawyers commented that some of his abnormal remarks were due to the language barrier. Therefore, when Vang responded affirmatively to the question that Mr. Grotto and Mr. Lasky deserved to die, his meaning implied that the men contributed to the circumstances that led to their deaths. Um, so, to the conviction, to end the story, um, September 16, 2005, Chow Sao Vang was found guilty of all six charges of first degree intentional homicide and three charges of attempted homicide by a jury of eight women and four men. On November 8th, 2005, he was sentenced to six consecutive life terms plus 70 years, 40 for two counts of attempted homicide plus an additional five, five excuse me, plus five additional years for each count of homicide in the first degree, a sentence of life without parole. At the time, Wisconsin was one of the 12 states in the United States that did not have the death penalty. Mm. So kind of a weird story. Well, I'm just like, like hunting. I don't know. Like that, that's kind of creepy, but like, obviously he wasn't supposed to be in the land, but he didn't have to like shoot everybody. He could have just left. It's true. You know, like but back to what you were saying, Lexi, in the beginning was he's that spiritual, like oh, dimensions yeah, and stuff. So I wonder, I feel like there's like more there's to be it more than to just like story. surface level. Like, oh yeah, I shot them, you know? Yeah. Especially when he was like. I I had to or whatever like, and how long how long was he in the United States when all that happened? I think they said he moved what like two thousand. Oh okay. His family moved. So wait, hold on. Just because when you said that when they asked him if they deserved to die and that he interpreted it wrong, mm -hmm. so like I was just I couldn't remember how long he'd been in the United States. It seems like a while. Like so, back to the beginning, like um. 
Vang and his family moved to the United States in 1980, and they re- they settled in California, and he moved to Minnesota in 2000. That's what okay. it was. So, I mean, he had been there for a while. Yeah, but like I guess... 20-some years. It's, you know, he still could... Uh, have a little language barrier, but... Yeah, because I know there's a lot of people who still, like, have... They interpret things differently than what we do. Right. I mean, like, like my mom's from Venezuela, and, like, there's certain things, like, you know... Do you say in Spanish that, like, makes sense in Spanish, but it doesn't, like, if you interpret it the, like, same exact words in English, like, it it just doesn't make sense. Like, certain jokes and stuff like that. So, I mean, that is a possibility, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like the defense should have helped him better if that was the case, though, too. Like, they should have been like, well, no, don't say it like that, you know, like, I don't know. Like, coached him more. Yeah, they should have coached him more and been like, we understand, but, like, this is how it's going to come across. I mean, I don't know. Don't lawyers do that? Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> me. Well, maybe but they like, just weren't, like, prepping for that because he that's not the case, and then they weren't expecting him just to be like, yeah, that's why I did it. <laughs> then they were like, oh, well, we have to make damage control now. No, yeah, not damage yeah, control. Yeah, <laughs> especially because he at first was like, oh, no, it was self-defense, and not, oh, yeah, they deserve to die. Right. Well, that that's, is very sad. It's very sad, but you did a very good job yeah. for your first story. Yeah. Even though you were nervous, it was very good. Yeah, you did well, good. You know, usually I'm, you. Just, I'm better at the jokes, so not the <laughs> sad stories, but it is a little creepy, too, so. Yeah, it's <clears> super <throat> creepy. Yep. But let's get spookier oh mine wasn't spooky enough not really i mean (laughs) (laughs) the spooky stuff is the what's coming um okay so like i said earlier my story also takes place in minnesota but my story takes place in sock center minnesota and it's the story of the palmer house hotel Hmm. so um this one I don't even remember where I found this, but it was, I think it was one of the lists of like one of the most haunted locations in Minnesota. I don't know. Cause I was like trying to like go through state by state kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, this was creepy. <laughs> one of them that I found. All right. So the hotel opened up in 1901 after the sock center house burned down, which was a hotel that was previously um, on that land. And then they built the Palmer House Hotel on top of that. So it was built by Ralph and Christina Palmer. And they lived there with their two children, Hazel and Carlisle. And their um, Christina's mother and her brother both worked at the hotel during that time as well. So people in the town were very excited for a luxurious first-class hotel because it was the first building in Sauk Center with electricity. Um, it was three stories high. And in the lobby, it had these beautiful Austrian stained glass windows. And the, okay, I don't know who is right. So I, I read on Wikipedia and I read on all these other websites. So there was either 24 guest rooms with a shared common room down the hall, which is a shared bathroom. Or, and then in 1916, the next owners added an addition that created space for 20 more guest rooms, which is, that's where I got from Wikipedia. On other sites, it said there was just... 38 guest rooms with the shared common room. So I don't know who's right. Always believe Wikipedia. (laughs) Wikipedia is the best. That's where I got my story from. We know. (laughs) Per Wikipedia. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because later the number doesn't even matter for that. It doesn't matter, right? But, um, so either, however many, I don't, I don't even care at this point. Um, many of the guests that stayed there were traveling salesmen 
who used the hotel for business meetings or relaxation. And there were several families who actually just lived in the hotel for their whole lives. The hotel became a cornerstone of the downtown area and served as a gathering place for locals. In the 1920s, during Prohibition, the Palmer House Hotel became a place uh, to headquarter the running of liquor. Ooh, yeah. And there were reports of tunnels underneath the hotel that took liquor to different areas of the city, which I found that very cool. If I was alive during that time, I would totally try to, like, peddle some alcohol. You'd probably make so much money back then. Be a rum runner? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't let the government tell you what to do. <laughs> this isn't a political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... And then go all the way to 1993, because history on this was very hard to find. So, But in 1993, the hotel underwent a makeover to add some of the comforts that guests had been accustomed to, but made sure to keep the integrity of the original structure. Cool. So they reconfigured it to only contain 19 guest rooms, which is why I didn't care about the number back then. <laughs> um, but each of the rooms then had their own bathroom, so that they expanded it, which is why they had to cut down the number, the of, number rooms. of rooms, and um, even some of them have jacuzzis, so they're like the jacuzzi suite. Oh, so I know, so fancy. That's where us rum runners get to stay after we're <laughs> peddling alcohol. After but... that hard work. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you gotta <laughs> relax in the jacuzzi. <laughs> yep. And it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1982. I can't remember what year it was. I didn't write it down, but Kelly Freeze. Um, she's now the current owner of the Palmer House. I want to say it was like in the 2000s that she became owner of the house. And so then when she was first there, she was like a skeptic, you know, not really believing in all of the ghostly encounters and all that stuff. But after a few experiences of her own, she kind of became a believer. And she even has a, a book at the hotel where guests can go and add their accounts of any activity that they have during their stays. A lot of the ghost stories date back to the 50s, and so that's really all I have of history. So then I'll just kind of get into our ghost um, section. That's <laughs> what the people want. Yes. Give them what they want. I know. It's all you came here for. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, um, <laughs> there are a few rooms that are um, known to have multiple ghosts or um, experiences occurring while you're staying in that room. So it's room 17, um, and that was Lucy's room. There's room 22, which was Raymond's room, which was Lucy's pimp. And um, room 11 is known to have a lot of cold spots. Um, there was a man in the bar area who hung himself off of the pool table. Oh. And um, there's a lot of reports of children playing, and there's a known little boy to play with a ball, like he'll roll the ball. Oh, no. Oh, hell no. So, hell no. Uh-uh, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mess with the little kid ghosts. Get out of here. <laughs> so a lot of guests and employees claim to see an apparition of a little boy that is believed to be um, the boy who died from the flu, and he'll, he is playing with a ball throughout the hallways. People also claim to see the same little boy sitting on the third step of the stairs, I watched one video of investigators going and staying, and so they ha they brought a red ball, and they kept it out in the hallway because that's usually where he plays. Well, they went downstairs, and when they came back upstairs, their door to their room was open, and the ball was sitting oh, in no. their room. Oh, God, no. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And then they, like, put it back in the hallway, but, yeah, so that was, like... <sighs> 
I'd be out one of there. those first things. So now I just have a bunch of um, stories from people who stayed there. So okay, so this is a I don't I didn't really write out their names. I just kind of found their stories or whatever. So here we go. We had started investigation at 12:30 a.m. after all the employees had gone home. There was only a couple other guests staying in the hotel. One of them had gone out for the night, and we started setting up toys to bait with and checking to make sure all the silverware was in the same directions on all the tables in the dining room. We then headed up to the third floor of the hotel. Going through all of the rooms on the floors, we hadn't experienced anything until on the way back down the stairs. Rick and Mel were heading down the steps with Rick in the lead. Uh, Mel stopped to take more pictures. Rick stepped on the third step on the right-hand side. He suddenly went flying down the steps, landing hard on the floor, catching himself uh, with the railing. Oh, my God. God. That's what scares me the most. Like, I don't care if you, like, throw a water bottle across the room. Like, don't. Touch you? Don't touch me. <laughs> um, <laughs> touch me. Ugh. No. He um, said that it felt like somebody had pushed the back of his knees, and that's why he went down the stairs. And so then after that, they headed into the dining room to make sure the silverware was still placed the same way they had it. But to their surprise, there was one that was different. Instead of sitting lengthways on the table, it was sitting crossways, so they just moved it to in a different... Um, they had a picture. I guess I can um, put whatever website I got this from on in our description so you could go and see because they did put a, a couple pictures of their stuff in there. Uh, da, 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 da. They checked all the tables before heading upstairs, but there was only the one set of silverware that moved. And Rick and Jean set up a camera in the dining room to see maybe if someone was doing it. So they headed back to the kitchen and then they headed for the basement. And while in the basement, they had an ex they experienced a strange noise that they could not explain in the room with steps. Uh, that whoever wrote this really sucks. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but this makes no sense. I'm assuming that they heard footsteps or something in the room. Walking around, yeah, because like walk while walking around steps, we heard a noise coming from back of the room. Sounds like I wrote it. it <laughs> Anyways, so it sounds like they heard footsteps from the back of the room. Um, some of the full boxes of Christmas decorations were moved. They turned the lights on to see um, if they could see what caused it, but they couldn't find anything that could have caused it, like animal or um, anything like that. Uh, they headed back upstairs at 1.30 a.m. to check out the dining room again. And they, when they expect, inspected the tables, they noticed that one of the tables, the silverware, had been moved again. Oh, my God. What is with the silverware? Oh, why does... <laughs> I don't know. I think there's I another like... story, too, with the silverware later. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, they stayed out until 5.30 a.m., but the rest of the night was quiet. They have the video where they didn't see the silverware move or anyone move them, but they still had... It says that the table where the silverware was moved was in the camera's view, so they don't know why. I guess maybe they just didn't catch it being moved, but they didn't see anybody move it either. So. Wait, so wait, it was moved, but in the video they didn't see it be moved? They didn't see, I don't know if they just didn't see it moved, but they didn't, like, see anybody moving it. So maybe they just, it just I don't got know. Moved. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, I feel like with creepy stuff like that, like, something, like, if you were taking a video of it because it's creepy... In the video, you might not see it happen, but, like, it did happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, 
Oh, yeah, they avoid the cameras. Right. Yeah. Um, and then during that whole night, they got three different EVPs. So they think that they said, "What you want, whore? <laughs> um, you little boy. Ugh. And do you like me? Oh no, I don't like you. It's because they're all drunks from the, <laughs> the whatever. The pro- oh, from yeah. Prohibition? Yeah. It could have been the pimp, Raymond, that was oh, talking to maybe one of the girls. Yeah. You never... Totally. Oh, what about the little be. boy, though? Maybe the little boy was, like, with the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he was, like, annoying, like, the pimp while he's trying to, like, pimp out. So he's like, wow, little boy. <laughs> yep. Anyways. <laughs> Ghost facts with the Bartels. What? Go, ghost facts of the Bartles. Oh. It's our next podcast Ooh. idea. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> oh, man, that hurt my feelings. Anyways, um, so another account. Um, while sleeping, I was awakened by... Is it awoke or awakened? I was awoke. A, I was awoke. Oh, I think it's awakened. Awakened? I was awakened. Okay. I think, yeah, when you're telling it, but then it was like, if I was saying Lexi was awoke in the middle of the night. So it said, okay, anyways. While sleeping, I was awoke by something slapping my bare leg that hung out of the covers. So, okay, um, well, in the first place, you should not have yes, your legs out of the we covers. We all know that's how the demons I grab you. I always tuck my covers. I can't. Even if I am dying of heat, I keep my legs under the covers because right. I can't do it. Right. That always gets mad at me because he's like, I don't want to be. I'm like, under the covers. No ghosts. <laughs> yep. Um... <laughs> As my eyes fluttered open, I saw something scoop by my face. Needless to say, I had a hard time staying asleep after that. Okay. Also, yeah. really cold pockets of air were by my face for a short while, and the bathroom floor kept getting mysteriously wet for no reason. No. So, just curious, like, I want, like, do we ever, like, do we have any stories of them, like, after they've left the place? If they were, like, having, like, still, like, the spooky stuff happening to them? No. I just wonder, I like, any. I just wonder if, like, that stuff follows you. Um, it, I mean, if it's... It depends. If it's more of, like, a poltergeist demonic thing, it could follow you. If it's more just, like, ghosts, like how we, how they have, like, uh, they'll see Lucy or the little boy, they, they stay there because... that's their area. That's where they died or whatever, and yeah. so that's where they'll... Yeah, I was just curious, like, does the spooky stuff happen to you? The spookiest stuff follows you out of all of it. Well, yeah, I mean, like, because, I mean, think about it, like, certain movies, like, where these people, like, I know movies are, like, different, obviously, but, like, you know, the spooky things happen to them at one house, and they move out of the house, and then they're in a new house, and the same stuff's happening. Yeah, that's usually, like, the, like, a demon or a poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Oh. (laughs) Okay, so then, um, another one. Um, they said, I was reading my favorite book on the steps, and then all of a sudden I heard my cousin's name and my name. Um, so I turned after I heard a, a snapping sound. I saw a figure, and it looked like a mother and her boy. It looked like the boy was bouncing his ball, oh my God, and then I heard a big groan, and they disappeared. Mm. So it could have been that little boy. He's, he's lingering around. At least he's harmless. Yeah, he just wants to play with you. He just wants you to play, like, bounce his ball with him. That's responsibility, so it scares me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, The next one is my sister-in-law and I had some small experiences in room 17, so this is Lucy's room. I'm never going anywhere with my sister-in-law now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
that always gonna happen? <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere spooky with her now. Well, how do you know? What if you go somewhere and you don't know that it's haunted? Because a lot of people who went there didn't know it was haunted until they asked the people at the front desk or even the owner the next day when they were checking out, and then they found out that it was haunted. So you, you'll never know. I'm just not going anywhere with her then. All right. <laughs> um, where's that? Okay. I kept hearing my name uh, being called when I was the only one in the room and on the entire floor. The voice was a woman's, and it was in the same room with me. My sister-in-law sat in the chair next to the TV and ended up moving from there after 10 minutes. She had this strong sadness come over her, and she didn't know why. She was tearing up and everything. Then we went to bed. She felt someone laying on top of her. So... In room 17, there is this main chair, and that was Lucy's chair. It could have been, like, at a time when Lucy was staying there, she must have been sad about something, and, you know. So then Lucy laid on her? Uh, maybe. It could have been her. Maybe Lucy was going to bed, and... Can I get, like, a hot ghost to lay on me instead? Oh, my God. <laughs> you never know. Lucy could have been hot. That's not... No. <laughs> Whatever. I play for one team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Team Benjamin. Yeah, you know it. Oh my Ben's ghost could lay on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want him to be a ghost. Oh my god, no. She's going to kill Ben on myself. her next hunting trip. No, yeah. I'm jinxing. Knock on wood. Okay, anyways. The next one <laughs> that I found, um, they said, my friend and I came from Fargo looking for a good scare. And Fargo? <laughs> don't. We can't crop you out while she's talking. Listen. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. You're good. My bad. My friend and I came from Fargo looking for a good scare, and we did see a few things. Upon arriving, I immediately felt drawn to a specific chair in the front entryway. Then after we checked in, I felt drawn down the hallway to my right at the top of the stairs on the second floor. But we were staying in room 17, Lucy's room again, oh my God. Lucy. on the third floor. So we went all the way up and dropped off our things. Shortly after being in the room, we found that many of our batteries were dead. Oh. Um, because they had brought stuff to record and um, try to catch some EVPs and stuff. So that is a ghost thing? Like, when they, like, kill the batteries? Yeah. yeah they, I... they will drain um, your electrical equipment. I heard that's more of, like, a, like... Poltergeist poltergeisty thing. thing. I don't what know for that? sure. Like a poltergeist type thing. Like they're, they're like negative spirits or something. Mm. I don't remember. They're like more negative spirits and they do more like harm than. So like, like me when I'm a spirit. They're more the the things that can move <laughs> objects or like throw yeah, objects. So like and... You want to know about poltergeists or no? I mean, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to creep myself out less, so, because, I mean, I, I gotta drive home alone. Well, know? us telling you about our poltergeist is not gonna creep you out less, because they're the ones that, like, they, like, absorb the energy, like, if, so if you're scared, they, like, take your, they feed off your energy, and then that, that's when, like, they might start by, like, knocking your shot glass over, and then you start getting scared, and the more scared you get, they're like, okay, I have power to, like, flip the table, like, do stuff like that, and you get more scared, so then they start throwing stuff around, and mm -hmm. And then they can start harming you. Yeah. Where a ghost might just be, like, sitting why. in that chair rocking, and you're like, okay, and we're can, good. And can mess with, like, it, the, they can mess with emotions, so, like, the sadness thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see where I was at. Oh, yeah, so they brought their own equipment. Um, so they left again to go buy some more batteries. 
As they went downstairs, she felt drawn again to that hallway. So I left my friends to go investigate. I was halfway down the hall when I heard someone or something say, come here. Mm. There was a door to my my right, which was ajar, but the room was dark, so I got my friends. But when they went into the room, which contained a long table and many chairs, they found no one. Um, Later in the evening, we decided to snoop around and try to record an EVP. Instead, we found room 18. It had the heavy smell of cigar smoke, but no one seemed to be checked into the room as the door was wide open. When Mm -hmm. we returned to our room, an alarm clock and a clock on one of our digital tape recorders was off by nearly two hours. Oh, it's like time for Don't they do that too, right? They like screw with the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, when you like turn stuff off and drain the battery you know like the time stops and whatever oh right right mm-hmm. right well i'm just wondering like the cigar smoke that could be like the pimp too yeah that, that's room 22 not 18 oh do we have any other stories about 18 did i miss them or am I, i'm keep thinking about 17 with lucy oh no i don't know this is just next to lucy's room oh okay yeah um so they're off by nearly two hours and but they were working when they left the room my friend did catch a few interesting images on her digital camera but the real kicker was when I heard loud clomping in the hallway at 7 a.m., which woke me up. The clomping didn't stop until it was at the foot of our bed. Then the bed shook right at my feet. Mm. My eyes shot open, but no one was there. And then I heard a ball bounce down the hallway. Oh. I'm going to add this to my story, can I? Yeah. So the next one, they say, we stayed at the Palmer House Hotel for the first time to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. We told our friends that we were going to be staying there. The common response that we got was, that place is haunted. (laughs) I didn't mind that too much since I grew up in a home we considered haunted also. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Some strange, unexplained happenings were experienced there too. Uh, Anyway, we checked in Saturday evening in room... I want to say it's going to be 13 because I don't think there, there's not 31 rooms anymore. So I think they just typoed. So okay. room 13. And upon entering the hotel, we saw Ghost Stories book in on the front table, which is that book that everyone can write in. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I like. I, I would love to go there and just like read well, everything. I'd go there and I'd see that book and I'd be like, I gotta go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I so forgot about that you, book. If you go yeah, on vacation with your sister-in-law and you check into a hotel <laughs> and there's a book on a table called Ghost Stories, leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. Man. Yeah. Or just stay and see the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. why not? I, I don't. Oh. You'd be fine. Upon it. Oh yeah. Okay. I told my husband that I would not be looking at those until the morning, as I wanted a good night of sleep smart um we went to go see a movie and after turning in for the night around 10 30 p.m we were awakened about 12 30 a.m because there was a lot of noise from the room above us it lasted for about half an hour and it sounded like furniture was being moved around or a party was being thrown lots of walking around or pacing lots of footsteps around the bed was what we thought it could be um, in the morning, after a pretty good night of sleep, after all the commotion from above settled down, we got up and my husband went to get his cell phone next to the TV where he had left it, along with his keys, checkbook, wallet, and sunglasses. It wasn't there, and once we looked around the room, we found it It was on the nightstand next to my side of the bed. Oh. We brushed it off and really thought nothing of it at the time. We went downstairs, had a great breakfast in the dining room, And during breakfast, we read the ghost stories book that other guests had shared their strange experiences in. 
After breakfast, we went and sat in the front lobby and had a wonderful conversation with Kelly, the owner. She shared with us different stories that people had experienced there and some things that she had experienced herself. She said that the last thing was that men were commenting on their cell phones being misplaced in their rooms. Huh. We found that not too much of a surprise since my husband's was also not where he had left it. While we were visiting with Kelly, the guests from room 12 checked out, which was the room that was right above ours. We asked them if they had thrown a party in their room the night before, and they said they were out at a Halloween party the night before and didn't get back till well after 1 in the morning. So they're there around Halloween. Oh, my God. Which was <laughs> when the sounds had ended. Oh. So they weren't even in their rooms when no. all that noise was coming. Oh, my God. From that room when they were trying to sleep. Girl. <laughs> Bartle's not going to be able to sleep tonight. Yeah, probably not. Um, they were not partying in that room, but somebody or something was. My husband and I both heard it. We decided to go back up to our room and get packed up and ready to check out. While we were doing this, our toilet flushed on its own. <laughs> we were very glad that this did not happen during the night. Um, I think I just have a couple left now. Or hey. actually, this might be... This is the last one. Okay. Oh. And it's a very long one, so... Oh, yeah. Get ready to be spooked. I'm going to put my spook brain on. Yeah, everyone put on your spooky hats. Get your spook cap on. Spook brain. No. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so for the last story, I think this is a, yeah, this is an employee's account. So this one's very exciting. So during my brief stint as the night clerk, a number of explainable events occurred. I did get weirded out a few times, but I never actually felt frightened or threatened. (laughs) (laughs) That's our new Listen, Lex, get frightened and threatened. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I never actually felt frightened or threatened in any way. That is important to point out as generally, I generally consider myself somewhat of a wimp when it comes to scary stuff. In fact, my concern about staying up all night, every night, in a large old haunted hotel almost kept me from taking the job in the first place. By profession, I am a sixth grade Catholic teacher The night clerk position seemed like a great summer diversion. It certainly turned into the most unusual job I have ever had. The job description was pretty basic. I arrived at work at midnight. I was always careful to lock the kitchen door and the lobby doors before I went up to check on the second floor. The bartender was still in the pub until the pub door was locked at closing time. I would go about my duties, cleaning, vacuuming, rolling silverware, dusting, and whatever Just needed to be done. Dang, they just had him doing all, everyone's job at night. Was I know. It he or she? He. Um, when the bartender would leave, I would recheck all four of the doors. I never found one unlocked. Afterwards, I would continue with my duties. Now that I've given you some of... Oh, now that I've given you some background, I can tell you about some of the strange happenings I experienced. Mm -hmm. I was a little nervous on my first night. As with any new job, I wanted to make sure I did it or I made a good impression. I vacuumed the dining room, made sure all the tables were set with placemats and silverware. I was slightly disgusted that on several tables the silverware seemed to have been thrown on haphazardly. The silverware thing, man. But I straightened it out, and I went to check the bathrooms. A few hours later, I went to double-check that everything was clean. Uh, When I went to check the dining room, many of the sets of silverware have been moved. Mm. (laughs) Now, being a good Catholic... I said half a dozen Hail Marys, straightened them all again, and went to the pub. Um, 
in which and in there I found a fire blazing in the fireplace. Not so unusual, except that it was about ninety degrees outside. Oh. Um, man. but I didn't panic. I did leave the pub quickly and said a very heartfelt "Our Father." I figured there was a reasonable explanation, but I haven't heard it yet. The owner insisted that the gas connection to the fireplace is turned off during the summer. Other odd occurrences included lobby lamps that would go on without explanation. Sometimes I could turn them off, and other times they would stay on. I eventually unplugged one particular lamp that became too creepy. Also, the faucet in the waitress station would turn on occasionally, but would only run for a minute and then go off. The silver was moved so often that eventually I just gave up trying to straighten it until just before I left at 7 a.m. Yeah, just leave it askew yeah, the just... whole night. <laughs> yeah, just like, whatever. When I you make up. it messy and then they clean it up and you're like, yeah. <laughs> right. And then there was the cold, and I mean cold. As I said, this was summer and I usually wore shorts and a sleeveless shirt to work. But after the first two nights, I learned to bring a sweatshirt and pants. At about 3.15 a.m., it got so cold that I could almost see my breath. There were a couple of decorative throws in the lobby. I would put on my sweats, wrap the throws around me, and curl up in a chair for the coldest 20 to 25 minutes ever. Oh, that is like the one of the freakiest things to me is the temperature drop. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah, that's, no. that's, that's really creepy. scary. Yeah, it was weird, but I could almost set my watch to the cold spells. I weird. prayed a lot from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. I took comfort yeah. in the fact that the newspaper lady would show up around the same time. She never said anything, but I'm sure I looked ridiculous wrapped up like an Eskimo in the hottest part of summer. <laughs> Without a doubt, the strangest encounter happened in mid-July. The bartender had left for the night about 12.30 a.m. I had checked the doors and just finished vacuuming the dining room. I went in to vacuum the pub and was startled to see a young man standing at the bar. My heart was racing, oh no, my mind was racing to figure out where he had come from and how he had gotten in. He was nice and he was a nice enough looking guy in his mid-twenties. He asked if he could get a beer. I said I thought so and checked out the taps to be sure they didn't lock at night. Seeing that they did indeed work, I asked what kind he would like. He said um, what my choice would be and I jokingly said, I like the brand with the canoe handle. And <laughs> he laughed and said, that would be fine. What do I owe you? He asked. I told him I had no idea because I was the night clerk and not a bartender. I asked him if $2 sounded fair. He produced a $10 bill. Oh, now we have another problem, I told him. I do not have access to any change. So I told him that he would either have to have four more beers or he could <laughs> see if he had any other money. He checked his pockets and came up with five quarters. I explained that it was his lucky night and beer happened to be on sale for $1.25. <laughs> I was still trying to figure out where this guy came from. He gave me the quarters, thanked me, and went to the lobby. He headed up the stairs, and I breathed a very deep sigh of relief. Clearly, this guy was a hotel guest. I did throw a few Hail Marys in just in case. <laughs> so I did my work, straightened the silverware twice that night, put the quarters in the drawer of the front desk, end of story. The next evening was my night off, but my family went into the pub to have a drink after attending a play that my daughter was in. Kelly, the owner, was there, and I laughingly revealed my ghost story from the previous night. I, ex I explained that it was the guest that had stayed there. She went a little white and disappeared for a few minutes. When she returned, she asked which room he was in. I said I had no idea. I was just glad I knew how he, I knew how he had gotten into the building. When she pressed about the room number, she said she would need to make sure that housekeeping cleaned the room. 
I told her, just look for the room with the empty beer glass. She laughed and went to check the rooms. None of the rooms had been slept in. No one had checked in or checked out. And the beer glass was never found. I think I'll go say a few more Hail Marys. Oh, my God. And that is the last one that I have. Yeah, and that's, that's the story good. of the Palmer House Hotel. Ooh, that's good. Yes. I want to go there. I know. It, it really made me want to go there because... There's only 19 rooms, so it's not that big. And then room 17. You gotta go stay in like room 17. Yikes. And then go hang out in the hallways or the pub. Palmer House Hotel. In Sox Center, uh, Minnesota. Palmer House Hotel. Yes. That's a Hilton. No. Oh, cool. Oh, that's Chicago, Illinois. Side note Did you guys all like Wendy's tweet? Yeah, I did. I oh, liked it. Yes, I want the spicy nuggets. We're at one point six million. Oh, it was one point two earlier. Yeah. It's gonna pass. It sure is. And they didn't tell us, you know, how long. Yeah. It had to be, but yes, those spicy nuggets were the best. Now, if we can get National Coney Island to bring back their spicy honeys, oh, yeah. everything would be right in the world. Yeah, except fish honeys just as good. No, no one likes fish honeys. That is disgusting. That's like you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyways. Spicy fish honey. Ew. Ew. Oh, yeah. Put some hot sauce on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> hot sauce on everything. Disgusting. Anyways. All right. What, you don't like hot sauce? I like hot sauce. I don't mm, like it on a honeys. fish honey. Okay, I put hot sauce on everything. No. Not really. No. Yeah, I put it on my omelet this morning. That's fine. I'm just with fish. I put it on beef stroganoff. Okay, that's weird. Spaghetti. Anyways, <laughs> um, that's it for today. Yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. Yes, thank you so so much. We thanks. really appreciate all the listens. Thanks, Bartle, for telling us. I want. Yeah, I want to thank you for letting me be on your show. Oh yeah, uh, you welcome. You You'll... did a very good job today. <laughs> You could always come on for another one if you'd like. Yeah, we'll see if the people like me. (laughs) Um, Gotta gotta give the people what they want. (laughs) Gotta sway listeners. Oh, yeah. If you want Bartolt to tell another story, please go review. Give us a review on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Say you want Barty Bart. DJ Barty Bart. Or you can also go on to our social media at Get Spooky Pod, Instagram or Twitter, and tell us that you would like Bartolt to come back. Or you can also email us at getspookypod at gmail.com. Send us any suggestions for any kinds of stories, what you want us to talk about. If you want us to tell you hi, go for it. We'll I'll shout you out. Yes, we'll give you a nice little shout out. Um, so that's it. I think, did yeah. we say everything that we needed to? You, should, you did great. You're oh. born natural. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Thank you. guys. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Or we'll... Talk to you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>